And so when I take that lens and I think about the way that we all try to have the right kitchen and hold on to the right kitchen as uh, this fixed ideal that I need to get to in order to be a person who has it together, it just makes me realize how much we aim for the in-between of that spectrum. That we we put so many resources, so much money, so much time, so much energy in just being able to ride the middle between the real goodness and the real suffering. It's almost like a way to say, well, at least here in my house, whatever else is going on here in my house, we're going to sit at our big island in the middle of these gleaming white cabinets with a refrigerator disguised as one of those cabinets. And we're going to keep some control in this world that spins. This is Sarah Stewart-Holland. And this is Beth Silvers. Thank you for joining us for Pantsuit Politics. Hello, everyone. We're so delighted that you're joining us for a new episode of Pantsuit Politics. This is our Halloween episode, and that might sound like not a thing for a news and politics podcast, but trust us, we're going to work it out. Our theme today is things that haunt us. And you will absolutely want to stay with us through the end of the show because in our Outside of Politics segment, it's trick-or-treat time. We're going to treat everyone with a truly overwhelming amount of fun news about things happening with Fancy Politics in 2022. Before we get started, we just want to thank you so much if you became a premium member during our drive. We want to thank you if you joined us for last night's premium member costume party. And if you love live events, you are in luck because we have another one coming up. Yes, we got over 4,000 patrons. We're now officially past the 4,000 threshold. Thank you to every single person who made that possible. We love having you as a part of our community. And yeah, on November 18th, we're going to have our first annual holiday huddle. Look, this is it's a big time for Pantsu Politics every year. The holidays are a big time. It's stressful. We're getting back together with people. It's really stressful <laughs> this year because we're getting back together for possibly the first time in two years, or we're getting together in new and different ways. And so we're going to be talking about how to handle those tough situations, tough political conversations with your families, tough boundary violations with loved ones over the holiday season. We're going to do live Q&A. You can get your tickets now by following the link in the show notes. And plus, if you can't join us for the actual live event, a ticket will still get you access to the recording for up to seven days after the event. So you can enjoy it on your own schedule. So we would love for you to join us for the holiday huddle. And up next, we are very excited to talk with you about things that haunt us. (laughs) Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to 3rd Love, you can have both. 3rd Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsuit Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. 
The truth is, I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Okay, Sarah, as we think about things that haunt us, probably the top of the list is that the 2020 election just never ends, never goes away. Mm -hmm. And the latest iteration from former twice impeached banned from Twitter President Trump (laughs) is that he has launched the idea of his new social media company. I say the idea because we don't have a new social media from President Trump yet. We have the idea that he's going to have a new social media company. He tells us that he's launching Truth Social, which is available for pre-order in the Apple App Store. <laughs> I've never heard of pre-order from an, for an app, but here we are. And he plans to begin a beta launch in November with a nationwide rollout anticipated in 2022's first quarter. The easy hot take is to just make fun of it, which I'm not I'm not opposed to. But the sometimes hot takes are wrong. We're going to get into hot takes that haunt us in the next segment. But I think it's easy to just make fun of it, make fun of him because of the blog adjacent debacle that was from the desk of Donald J. Trump or to roll our eyes at just how bad he wants to be out there tweeting again and he can't. But I think there's like way more going on here, particularly as as you hinted to in the way it is launching that I think is fascinating, horrifying, interesting and important. Truth Social is being launched by Trump Media and Technology Group, which currently makes zero products and provides zero services. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, There mm -hmm. is a website where you can give them your email address to receive an Mm -hmm. invitation. There is a slide deck presenting Trump Media and Technology Group as a competitor to Twitter, Facebook, Netflix, Disney+, Mm -hmm, CNN, mm -hmm, iHeart, perhaps eventually Amazon Web Services and Stripe in the long term. So they're, you know, they're aiming high. Big dreams. But today there is nothing. Like the kindest way to put it is that they are pre-product and pre-revenue today. And in this state, Trump Media and Technology Group is merging with Digital World Acquisition Corp. And Digital World Acquisition Corp is a SPAC. What's a SPAC? It's a special purpose acquisition company. You've probably seen it in articles about NFTs and meme stocks and all the things. You use a special purpose acquisition company to acquire or merge with another company so that it can raise money through an initial public offering. That's all the company is, a vehicle for another business to raise money. According to the Wall Street Journal, you put some money into this bag and creators are allowed to put 20% of the shares at ultra cheap prices. When this bag merges with the private company, so in this case, when Digital World Acquisition Corp merges with Trump Media, those creator shares transfer into a sizable position in the new company. So they make several times their initial investment. Because the creators get in so cheap, they're almost always assured that return. However, individual investors aren't. This sounds like a scam, Beth. It doesn't get better from here. So the people (laughs) behind Digital World Acquisition Corp are CEO Patrick Orlando, a former derivatives trader at Deutsche Bank. Remember, Deutsche Bank has a long history Mm, with Donald mm -hmm. Trump. CFO Luis Orleans Braganza, curiously a member of Brazil's National Congress and five board members. We don't have a lot of information right now. We will have down the road because when you start to do things like an initial public offering, the pesky SEC comes along and asks you to disclose a lot about your business. And Matt Levine from Bloomberg, in a 
just wild ride of a newsletter about this said <laughs> that we can all just bet on multiple lawsuits against Trump and multiple SEC complaints based on how all of this goes down. So we have Digital World Acquisition Corp. with zero products and zero services merging with Trump Media and Technology Group, which also has zero products and services mm-hmm. in order to issue stock. Mm-hmm. And last week, the stock price implied a value of several billion dollars. Okay. Okay. Which, in a way, let me just take devil's advocate since it's a Halloween episode. Makes sense. Because really what they're valuing is the strength of his support among his people, right? How many people will follow him no matter what? How many people will do what he says no matter what? They haven't said if Truth Social will require a membership fee. That'll be interesting to see. I don't know if they're the grift is just aimed at the stockholders or also the members of the social media platform. It'll be interesting to find out. But, you know, it's not wrong that there are people that will follow him no matter what. I don't know what the value of that following is. And I think that's what they're trying to place a number on through this offering. And I think that that is what everybody needs to understand. We are not predicting the future value of a social media platform created by the former president. We are talking about what could happen with this stock. This is so far looking like a meme stock play. It's kind of like the post-reality economy, which Trump certainly didn't create. But what a way for him to jump in and get in on that action. Well, and there's a part of me that's like, great, let's do this. Let's let him do this and exploit it for all the money it's worth because I think he needs money. That'll be great. And maybe that will distract him (laughs) and he can focus on that instead of running for office again. I'm worried that, though, the hold on this audience is preconditioned on him running again, right? Because the second, the second he says, I'm not running in 2024, the little sort of hold he has on this audience and particularly his whatever hold he has left on the national media evaporates, right? Then it's done. And he knows that. That's what I'm worried about is that this the this grift will be, you know, tied up with his decision to run for office. And so now his decision to run for office will be tied up with the ability to make money. And then, which it already is, right? Like his campaigns raise so much money. And I don't think any of us believe that they're just going to campaign expenses and that there's other stuff going on there. But I don't know. There's a part of me that's like, oh, goody, maybe he'll just do this. And then there's a part of me like, no, it's, it's linked to him running in 2024. Even beyond that, I've been thinking about how we said a lot during his presidency that Trump makes people more of what they are. And accelerates a lot of trends. And I think this is another one. We have known for several years now that sort of making money on paper has had Mm -hmm. really devastating effects for lots of our economy over a long period of years now. We've, We've come to understand that. And this is an accelerated way to make money on paper. He's not the only person doing it. I mean, one of the major problems in the tech world right now is that lots of companies are pre-product and pre-revenue out there raising mm. lots and lots of cash from real people. And I don't know. I just wonder if this will lead to greater regulation in this area, if it will lead to an, an education for the population, because so many people will put money in. I mean, it's being reported that... Marjorie Taylor Greene has bought a bunch of this stock and has probably already lost quite a bit of money based on the timing of when she bought in and what the stock is doing. Now it's losing some steam. Now there's a company that shorted it called Iceberg Research that said it sees only risk for investors. Based on Trump's track record, it said at current price, renegotiation is likely to keep more of the merged company for him. SPAC holders don't own a piece of this project yet. Trump has leverage, not them. And with that kind of discussion happening pretty publicly, you know, lots of this on Twitter, I don't know, maybe maybe we'll learn something, maybe we'll get some new laws because of all of this. I'm just interested in the long-term effect on our economy because I do think there's something about meme stocks and NFTs and cryptocurrency that we just haven't been able to put our fingers on yet in terms of understanding, does something need to be real to have value? 
And I don't know the answer to that, but I'm interested in continuing to ask the question. We're going to leave that for now, but I am certain that we will be talking about it again. And up next, we'll talk about other things that haunt us. Sarah and I have some real ghosts to share with you in this segment. Just finished A Court of Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour? Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. If you're looking for a very quick salon quality, but not salon priced manicure, Olive and Jean has you covered. We've talked about Olive and Jean's Manny system before. It has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box, salon grade tools, your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are gonna last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. Olive and June also has press-ons if you want. What I love though, is that Olive and June each season is coming out with new colors. And I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick dry polish. And they say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick dry. I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray. The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days and it is offered in more than 40 cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive and June just understands what's happening in our lives, that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com slash pantsuit for 20% off your first system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash P-A-N-T-S-U-I-T for 20% off your first Manny system. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college, y'all. He's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things. Big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash pantsy. All right, Sarah, when we first started talking about this, you suggested that we just separately consider something that continues to come back in our minds over and over again. So what do you have for us? Well, I have two editorials that I wrote, one in high school and one in college. The high school one I've talked about on the show before, which is me calling for President Clinton's resignation. I don't know if it haunts me. It's more funny. I've turned. I've made such a hard turn. I no longer feel uh, responsible for that take. Um, but I will. I will put it a link to it, and so we can all enjoy and laugh along as I moralize and call for President Clinton's resignation. The other one, though, I've never I don't know if I've ever talked about it because it really bothers me. And now it's silly to think about a college editorial bothering you. But this by this point, I was a a good and true Democrat. It was in March 2003, March 2003, for anybody who lived during those times, was peak 
Dixie chick controversy. Now the chicks. This is after Natalie Maines had made her comment about being ashamed that the president was from Texas. I was a devoted and still am devoted chicks fan. And I wrote this editorial. I'm going to read a little bit of it to you. I love the Dixie Chicks from their first release, I Can Love You Better. I've been a huge fan. I've seen them in concert once and have tickets to see them again in May. I listen to Goodbye Earl when I'm angry and Home when I'm sad. What I don't do is look to them for political opinions or foreign policy expertise. To be terribly honest, I don't really care what Emily, Marty, or Natalie thinks about politics, and I didn't think anyone else did either. Boy, was I wrong. And I took this posture of, like, they play the fiddle. Why do y'all care? And I just hate it. I'm so ashamed of it. I know it's silly, but, like, I feel like I abandoned them. I feel like it was a bad take because, you know, what I was trying to do was defend them and just be like, leave them alone. Why do you care? They play. Let them play music. Leave them alone. But the truth is, like, I did care what they thought. I still care what they think. Um, And I think this, I was trying to defend them, but I think it's a hot take that happens a lot with celebrities, which is they're just celebrities. But they're not just celebrities. Celebrities are where we work out a lot of our politics and our values, stress and anxieties and cultural conversations. I've learned this from Anne Helen Peterson. She's taught me so much about this. And I just look back at that and I think, oh, man, what a bad take to turn on these women you loved and say, well, I don't really care what they think and you shouldn't either. And so that that is a that is a hot take that I took too soon. It was soon. It was March. I mean, she only said it like March at the beginning of March. It's like peak controversy. It's a hot take I really, really regret. Set in paper for all those collectors of early aught Transylvania ramblers out there. Do you think that this stays on your mind more because you have learned so much and changed and grown in your position about how celebrities influence us? Or because you think this problem continues to persist, like we're still having the same discussion in a lot of ways and we still hear people say constantly like, and, mm-hmm. and it's less the Dixie Chicks and more influencers now, right? I don't yeah. come to you for politics. I come to yep. you for furniture recommendations. Well, I mean, I think it is both that, yes, that attitude persists, and I really, really dislike it. And I think it is willfully ignorant to think that celebrities and their takes don't matter. Like, you don't, we don't get to have it both ways. They're not products, they're people. And so we elevate them for a reason. We, you know, talk about their personal lives and their choices for a reason, because we are trying to decide how we feel about politics or how we feel about adultery or how we feel about, you know, being non-binary, whatever the case may be, whatever the decision they're making, um, making it on a public stage gives us the ability to talk about that. It's their status that sort of elevates the choices in a way and gives us all permission to think about how we feel about it. And it's just so consistent throughout time. That's to me what is so silly about, you know, putting forward the position of like, well, who cares? Everybody cares. We've always cared. (laughs) You know, like there's not a moment in history where people didn't care about elite people or celebrities or, you know, powerful people and the choices they make or their downfalls or their public mistakes. Like that's just that's never been a thing. And so and I think, again, the other thing that really bothers me about it is I just feel like I I turned on them in a moment. Again, this is silly. This was a college newspaper they did not need. Like, Natalie was not reading The Rambler. But there's just a part of me that's like, I feel like I'm pretty good in moments of like that, of like reading my gut and, and staying true, even in really unpopular positions. Because the rest of the article, I go on to say, like, I don't support the war either. That was really unpopular. I was like, when I was trying to find this article... I was looking through and realizing, like, we had students standing on the street, like, supporting the troops at this time. Like, just a bunch of college students decided to stand on the side of Broadway and raise signs in support of the troops. And I was like, man, I don't even remember that. But it sure is indicative of, like, how intense that time period was and how we were all debating it and how it was such a big deal. And so it's not like I was was worried about being judged for my position on the war. I was pretty open and upfront about it. And I said, you know— the rest of the article, I just talk about, like, don't get swept up in the fervor. Like, it's more it's more complicated than that. I just wish I'd said, like, she's helping us see that. And we should we shouldn't recognize that and, you know, praise her instead of turning on her because she's forcing us to look at the fact that maybe everybody doesn't support the war. 
Well, I hope that you've fully forgiven yourself for turning on the Dixie Chicks in this moment. I don't know. I feel like I might need their personal forgiveness. Like, I just might need to be like, I love you. I'm sorry. Natalie would be like, it's okay. But that raises something important. We often talk to college students when we're on campuses speaking about media and about news and how we have grace-filled political conversations. And we hear from college students this anxiety about voting wrong. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that... Listen, I'm a walking example of changing your position all the time. I've changed my party registration. I will never vote for Mitch McConnell again, but I have voted for him before. You know, so I've gotten all kinds of things wrong. I've gotten some things maybe not wrong, but decided them in a totally different context in my life uh, and would make a different choice today. And it is easy to be haunted by past bad takes. And I also think that until we're able to release ourselves from being haunted by those past bad takes, it can be kind of paralyzing in terms mm-hmm. of your ability to continue to put yourself out there. I know that you do not feel in- I do not feel paralyzed of putting yourself out there again. No. But I want to mention that because some of us do kind of keep the score for ourselves and yeah. have to release that really intentionally to continue to participate, especially in public spaces. Yeah. And I think that that's what's hard. I did. I got an Enneagram, any a thought email that was like. Ones feel personally responsible for being wrong, like they like they take it hard. <laughs> so I do have to watch that. And, and I'm worried that like people will then see me as having bad takes. And there's a lot of anxiety about that right now in the in the year of our Lord 2021 doing a job on the Internet. Like there's always this concern of like. I'm going to make the wrong group mad or I'm going to say the wrong thing. And then there's going to be this not even like cancelization, which I think is a word that gets thrown around too much. But this idea that like you're no longer worth listening to. And like we all want to be listened to. We all want to be heard. And I think that's like sort of the anxiety. But I think, you know, with the the celebrity angle and the idea of like you only have status in one place, like we can we can compartmentalize the status you have I do think social media has like sort of both elevated that conversation and helped us see status more clearly, but also you made the anxiety surrounding that that celebrity status even more intense. It's been interesting, though, like, you know, since I wrote that in 2003, like celebrities have so much more control over what they say. Like they can go to Instagram directly. They can go to Twitter directly. They can post their notes apology. Right. Like they're no longer. Um, at the mercy of some of these gatekeepers that were guarding their image and guarding their messaging. And so I think that's changed even more this this idea we have. I, I think it's opened them up to more criticism. I think it's made it more personal in a way so they're, that people feel even more free to attack them personally. But I, I do think it's important. I think, you know, I love celebrity culture. I love celebrities. I think it's really important. I think it is how we work out so much stuff about our own precarity, about how we feel about our economy, about how we feel about gender and race and like, you know, Godspeed to all of them who become the surface on which we work all these things out. There's been a flattening out, too, because of social media, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. There are a lot more people who have some experience with some kind of celebrity. In a way, if you have any number of followers, but people who you know are reading what you write and looking at your pictures, then you have that experience of, oh, I could get this wrong. I could have a bad take. I could have somebody say, I didn't come here to hear what you have to say about the Build Back Better agenda. I came here Mm -hmm. to see pictures of your dog. You know, I think everybody is having to navigate more of what you wrote about with celebrities then. And I think that's both healthy because it does help us see celebrities as more multidimensional, politicians as more multidimensional, mm-hmm. I worry that it also spreads all that anxiety about getting it wrong around. I just wanted to stop being consumption. Like, I just want to, st- I don't think there's an, a- there's an aspect of consumption that's never going to go away. The consumption is what made them celebrities. But it is complicated to ask people to hold both the, the consumption of their public image and the reality that they are not a product, that they are not a consumable product, that they are a human being. And that's really hard. I think that that's that we're getting better and and simultaneously worse at that all the time. Well, one reason that I don't hold a lot of anxiety around changing my mind about something or having gotten something wrong or knowing that 
all the hours that we spend sharing our thoughts with people, I will get something wrong, at least for some significant portion of the audience. I will I will step in it somewhere. I'll say something that they think is the worst take. I don't stay in knots about that because I trust that we have a relationship here. And so that you, you don't lose the relationship because of one sentence or because of one idea. I don't know you know, what spaces there is a relationship in versus it is kind of, I'm a consumer. I come here for your music or I, I, I don't know where those lines cross or something. how they get established. I have a relationship with the chicks. They don't know it, but I do. I bought their first album on cassette tape. Okay. Like we, we are in a relationship and have been for 20 plus years. I adore them. And I think that's why I like still carry this around with me. It's like my, one, my, my one stumble in a, in a, a pretty pristine record as a fan. <laughs> so what, what haunts you? What are you, what's your haunting? Well, I wanted to think about what have I read or what do I continue to click on that I just can't get out of my head, even though I know that it's not particularly helpful to me. And it is kitchen articles. Mm. I read everything that is written that I can find about kitchens. I read about the Nancy Myers kitchens. Yes. I read about the kitchens of the wealthy. I have mm-hmm. probably read the New York Times piece from late August on hidden refrigerators 10 times. <laughs> I loved Tressie McMillan Cotton's piece about the concept home, the COVID concept COVID home several home. times mm. because she writes about double refrigerators in that piece about how every home is going to have two fridges post-COVID. I'm just obsessed with what, the way we think about our kitchens. And I think it's for a bunch of reasons. I love to cook. And so that's part of it. But I definitely don't read these articles looking for like equipment advice. I feel like these pieces are a signal in how we think about the way we signal to our families and to all the people who will enter our homes and to all the people who will see our homes as the background on Instagram or Facebook or wherever we're posting about our lives. It's a signal of how together are we? Where have I arrived in my life? And I don't know. I'm just really interested in the fact that at a time when we have so many options available to us, we consolidate around the sameness of a lot of trends. And for a very long time, that meant everybody had white cabinets, right? And everybody had white quartz or marble countertops or granite before that. I'm glad to see the kitchen design is starting to get layered again. And there there's kind of more pattern and color coming back into it. But Even just the island idea that every kitchen needs this massive island in the middle of it. I'm just really interested in what that says about us. Let me go on record as saying the island size is getting out of control. I just want to go on record as saying the islands are getting too big, everybody. Even though I am a devoted Nancy Myers acolyte, I want to live inside of a Nancy Myers film. But dang, those islands. The islands seem to me to have come about... Like when the Food Channel got really big, right? Like Food Network. Because it was like, oh, we're all performing in our own little cooking show, even people who don't cook. <laughs> but again, this is this. I Listen, I love home design. I Every word of these articles up, the COVID con- concept home, yes, please, all day. I, went, I even went and was like, were there other concept homes? Was there like a 9-11 concept home? I want all the concept homes. I think design is fascinating because honestly, it's the same thing with celebrities. We're working out status. We're working out how we feel about things. We're putting on our walls or on our counters or on our floors signals about what's important to us, how high we rank. Uh, And I think it's all so fascinating. And I think the idea that it's just like a shallow pursuit is so short-sighted. And I think, again— There's also a gendered component to this. There is a gendered component to how celebrities and home design are seen because it is primarily women who consume this material, who purchase the products. And I reject that. I think they are both very important. And I think, like, I totally agree. The Nancy Myers article or the Hidden Fridges. Yeah, I want to read that stuff all day long because it's so fascinating it is both fascinating to me like how it starts at the truly elite levels and how it trickles down into the masses and how it's interpreted yes please all day listen all i want to do in life is have a conversation about status that makes tressie proud i think status is endlessly fascinating 
it also just made me realize you and I have talked a lot lately about the kind of everything's a dumpster fire posture that so many of us have adopted for a while and how badly we want out of that. Because if you zoom out on this moment, there is unfathomable goodness happening and unspeakable suffering and lots of in between. And that's just how it's always been and how it will always be. And so when I take that lens and I think about the way that we all try to have the right kitchen and hold on to the right kitchen as uh, this fixed ideal that I need to get to in order to be a person who has it together. It just makes me realize how much we aim for the in-between of that spectrum, that we, we put so many resources, so much money, so much time, so much energy in just being able to ride the middle between the real goodness and the real suffering. It's almost like a way to say, well, at least here in my house, Whatever else is going on here in my house, we're going to sit at our big island in the middle of these gleaming white cabinets with a refrigerator disguised as one of those cabinets. And we're going to keep some control in this world that spins. And I don't know. I just think it's really fascinating. Well, it's classic. It's classic, you know, individualism, right? I control what I control. And so I can I can assert my status and I can, you know, have a perfect home to come down to, even if the outside is a dumpster fire. And look, I don't necessarily think that's a moral failing. I think that's a natural human response. I do think that, it, you know, there is a place for us to sort of rise above. And I think that's why I think I'm so incredibly grateful for the work of people like Anne Helen and Tressie who say like, no, no, see what's going on here. See what's underneath the surface. Because while I don't, I think that's a natural human response, I don't, I don't ever want to end there. I don't ever want to be like, well, I made the hot take. I'm moving on. I want to keep curious. I want to keep looking at like, but why are we obsessed with this? Or why am I interested in this? Why is this appealing to me? Is there a bigger role to play for me beyond just controlling my individual environment, right? Like, because I'm connected to other people and, you know, watching how status flows means that it's flowing away from some people. You know, some people are suffering because of the way status is kept from them. And I don't ever want to be blind to that. And so you you have to to look at even the places where status seems silly, be it a refrigerator or a celebrity hot take. I think to keep to keep your eyes on the prize, to stay curious and to to, to watch that flow, to see the matrix, if you will. I put in my list of articles for our show notes this article about why everyone has the same hair because mm. Among women like me, white, middle-class women who are around 40, everybody has the same hair. And it is hair that is totally unavailable to me. The sort of blown out but then curled or a little wavy look that kind of has that effortless vibe but would take me hours to create. And I think it's not effortless for anybody for real. And so I Googled one day just like, why does everyone have this hair? (laughs) And I found an article from Vox from 2016 – So it's a five-year-old article about how that became the dominant way to style women's hair on television because it provides continuity between different scenes. Straight hair, if it gets out of place, you can really tell. So they would have to stop filming more often to fix it. It looks good from every angle. Like, it's a camera trick, this hairstyle. And it is very flattering on lots and lots of people. And if you have this hair, I love you. I'm not trying to make you feel bad about having this hair. I just want to, like, step back in again, kind of like you said, Sarah, see the matrix. How did we get here? Where do these things flow from? What do they mean for us? What does it mean for me to be a person who's never going to have the hair? I don't know. I just think about this stuff all the time. I remember that article from 2016 vividly. And it's not surprising that that hairstyle had such staying power if it's photography friendly through the rise of influencers and the people who are, you know, using photography for everything and taking pictures of everything. I had the hair for a while, love the hair, not mad at the hair, Um, but I am thrilled, thrilled that the new generation is like, we're done. I even read an article the other day that was like, is blonde hair chuggy. I'm like, what? Are we having this conversation about everybody can stop dyeing their hair blonde and just have natural brown hair? Uh, I thought that was fascinating. Listen, I am living in hair TikTok now. I love hair, especially like 
vintage hair TikTok where they like pin curl and do all these like shaggy, wavy, feathery, like from the 70s hairstyles. I'm here for it. I love the I love this generation. I want to kiss them on the mouth for shaking us out of this like place we were stuck in with, you know, the barrel curls. And I love it. I'm like trying to grow up my own curtain bangs right now. I'm here for the 70s. Bring it back. And I think that's Again, it's just it's so interesting how we get like stuck in places and how new generations come around and like question it. They're like, we don't need it because it's it, they're they're uniquely suited. Right. Because they're not wholly and completely in the race for status because their status is gained by rejecting things and by like trying something new. And they're the new generation. And so the status comes from sort of pushing against that traditional thing. Look, they've already got us like question skinny jeans and. The beach waves and blonde hair. What's next? I love it. Let's do it. Well, and I wonder how social media will accelerate that rejection because it is boring to scroll and see the same kitchen. It mm-hmm. is boring to scroll and see the same hair or the same fashion, the same interior design. So I'm hoping that these tools that led us all to do the same things also now will lead us beyond. And I think that's happening not just generationally, but because aesthetically, we're we're walking away from some of the tools when they become too static. That reminds me of an article I still think about, about how all the coffee shops around the world are starting to look the same. Like they're all that Instagram aesthetic, right? The the exposed brick and Mm -hmm. the sort of modern farmhouse and the and how no matter where you are, you know, you're in Japan, you're going to find a coffee house that looks like that. You're in South America, you're going to find a coffee house that looks like that and how creepy it is <laughs> to start to see that that universal Instagram aesthetic seep into to all these spaces. And I think you're right. I, I hope that we are, you know, turning away from that and we're going to have space. But it's also, you know, social media is a is a status delivery system, the likes of which we have never known. <laughs> and so it's always going to be there saying like, well, you want the next big thing? You want the thing that people are going to walk in and, and realize like you're in front of the trend or you're right on the trend? Well, this is it. And that is another form of status. And I think all of this haunts our politics because so much of what's happened around vaccines, for example, has been an explicit person who looks like you in the kitchen that looks like the one that you want telling you this is the message that I want you to land on around your covid decisions right or this is the this is the person I want you to vote for i mean this all happens i'm sure that i participate in this too right but it happens like hey we're the same like here's something that we connect on and so i want you to connect with me and follow me down this path. And I think these visual cues have gotten stronger and stronger, especially for people my age and older, because I agree with you, the younger generation is in a totally different place on a lot of this. But I think women in my age are still consolidating around a lot of a lot of these ideas that like we do need to kind of follow a particular path. And that path has gotten explicitly political on Instagram. I do think that social media, in particular the last two years, have helped us abandon the idea that, like, politics is this rational policy calculation. And I do hope that we're seeing the way that status and emotion flow through these conversations, motivate us to do certain things, motivate us to protect the tribe or reject the tribe. Because it is. It's it's just this undercurrent that's running through celebrity culture Kitchen culture, political culture, it's always there. And I think it's almost been helpful to me preparing for this conversation to think of these things as ghosts. Mm -hmm. Just remember that they do sort of hang invisibly around. Sometimes they make themselves known more than others. But there is kind of a choice to see them or not see them and engage with them or not engage with them. And I like your framework of seeing the matrix around this, too. And that's something I'm going to keep in mind. Next up, we have all of the treats for you. So stick around. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible. And skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin. And I have added ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies. So we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. 
Ritual Hyacera is one of several ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code PANTSUIT at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Sarah, we have three exciting things to talk about. Which would you like to share first? I think that we should start with the announcement that we have both a title and a cover for our new book coming out on May 3rd, 2022. The title of our book is Now What? How to Move Forward When We're Divided About Basically Everything. It is exactly what it sounds like. It's a follow-up to our first book. In our first book, we said, please have grace-filled political conversations. Let's tell you how that book is. I think you're wrong, but I'm listening if you haven't gotten it yet and would still like to read it. With this book, we are saying, you had grace-filled political conversations and it didn't fix everything. Now what? We had COVID. Now what? We had the Trump administration. Now what? And I hope that this book feels to you the way that it felt to us writing it. This book is much more personal. It's much more relationship-based. It's a lot more like the podcast than I think you're wrong, but I'm listening. And we're just really excited to share it with you. And you can see the cover of it today on Instagram, Pantsuit Politics. Our second announcement about 2022 is that we are currently in talks with a TV production company to make a TV show next year, hopefully, if someone would like to make it with us. We have to sell it first, but that's where we are in the process, and we couldn't keep it a secret one minute longer. The production company that we're working with could not be more wonderful. 
I was terrified of this process. Terrified. And they're terrific. And they have made me feel really comfortable. Like if this happens, it's something that we could do, that we could do well, that we could do in a way that feels right to us and hopefully to all of you too. And so we're working on it. We're we're working on refining the concept. And in January, we'll pitch it to networks and we'll just cross our fingers and see what happens. We're holding it all loosely. You know, hopefully somebody will purchase it and we'll get to make it. But if not, we love what we do here. This is all a bonus. And this is what everybody tells us is the attitude with which you should approach TV. <laughs> <laughs> like, if it happens, great. If it doesn't, not. Because if you're too hungry, it can be a heartbreaker. So we are working on our concept. We're about to film a little, they call it a sizzle, which is kind of a silly word, but I'm going to go with it, to show sort of the us together and what the TV show would look like. It would be, you know, obviously unscripted, sort of a reality show idea. We've been calling it Queer Eye for Politics in our heads. So we're really, really, really excited. And then our last but certainly not least bit of good news to share with you is that our managing director, Elise, is going to be a mom in the spring. We're so excited for Elise and for Kevin, her husband. And obviously, there will be lots of change around these parts when Elise is not with us every day when she takes her leave. And so we'll keep in touch with you about who to contact and how to get your questions answered and all the miracles that Elise works for us every day behind the scenes. But we wanted to share that wonderful news with all of you, and I hope you send her very good vibes. It's going to be a very busy 2022, in other words. And we can't wait for it. And we appreciate you being with us through all kinds of fun and excitement and change. We appreciate you joining us today. We hope to see you in real time at our holiday huddle on November 18th. Do not forget to check out the show notes for a link to those tickets. Have the best Halloween available to you. We'll see you back here on Tuesday. Pantsuit Politics is produced by Studio D Podcast Production. Elise Knapp is our managing director. Megan Hart and Maggie Pinton are our community engagement managers. Dante Lima is the composer and performer of our theme music. Our show is listener-supported. Special thanks to our executive producers. Martha Brunitsky. Linda Daniel. Allie Edwards. Janice Elliott. Sarah Greenup. Julie Haller. Helen Handley. Tiffany Hassler. Barry Kaufman. Molly Kors. Lori Ladau, Lily McClure, David McWilliams, Jared Minson, Emily Neasley, Danny Osmond, The Pettins, Tawny Peterson, Tracy Putoff, Sarah Ralph, Jeremy Sequoia, Karen True, Nick and Elisa Valelli, Amy Whited, Emily Holiday, Katie Steigers, Melinda Johnston, Ashley Thompson, Michelle Wood, Joshua Allen, Morgan McHugh, Nicole Berkless, Paula Bremer, and Tim Miller. And we are very excited to talk to you about things that haunt us today. I wish we had some scary sound effects. I bet we do. Wait, does just say it like we have the sound effects. Simeon has the sound effects. Say it again. I trust him. He's got it. (laughs) 